This is Grown Up and Grounded, a podcast about growing up and being a grown up, about getting grounded and staying grounded. Join us, two women, a mother and a daughter, who talk about everything. Kate and I recorded this episode on Father's Day, and we thought we'd be able to turn it around and get it right out, but unfortunately that didn't happen, so here we are a little bit later than Father's Day. We talk about Fleabag and how we hold ourselves back from others, just a topic that we've kind of touched on before. Hope it inspires you to share who you really are with someone. Yeah, so it's Father's Day today. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Really exciting. We're trying to do a quick record between our busy Mm -hmm. schedules. Yeah, work and all these other things we've got going on. You have to give your husband a lot of attention. Um, Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Um, It is true. But, you know, we never really discussed um, Fleabag. Yeah, I mean, I've been hearing all kinds of podcasts and TV shows talking about Fleabag. I guess it was like super big on Twitter, too. Uh, I had no idea. I don't know anybody that watches it. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, that jumpsuit she was wearing in episode one, like, sold out immediately. How crazy. I know. I mean, it's a great show. And Hot Priest was trending because of of it. Ugh. Because he was on on Graham Norton, so. Yeah. Oh, and he, you know, he's a pretty well-known internet actor, I would say. People really like him. Yes, but people... It was trending, hot priest. I know Graham Norton was laughing about it. So. I mean, he was a hot priest for sure. Sure, I don't think he's I've that never good looking. Like he's not. He's not my kind of guy. Like I would never like try to lure someone away from the priesthood that was like him. But he was very like. I mean, their relationship was great because, anyways. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, Fleabag season two was fantastic. So we should uh, give a little descriptor about Fleabag for anyone who hasn't watched it yet, which you should all go watch it. It's on uh, Amazon Everybody Prime. Everybody should. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like every time I try and describe the show to someone, it's not super easy. So, I mean, yes, we should definitely give some sort of information. Um, but I, I don't know if I might be the best person for that because I've tried and failed so many times. Okay. Well, let me see if I can do it. I think it's the story of a woman who has experienced some trauma and loss in her life and is trying to get through it. And in that she's kind of discovering different things about herself and who she is, especially in season two, she's really trying to be a better person uh, than she was in season one after coming like season one was all about some specific trauma. uh, And then season two is about her trying to get through that and be a better person. Anything else you would say to expand on that? No. In fact, I feel like you killed it. It's such a good show. I mean, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, in case you're not familiar with her or our listeners aren't, like, uh, wrote season one. I don't know what assistance she had on season two, but I believe it's all it's all pretty much her show. And it was based on a, a play that she had written, a one-woman play, basically the same thing. And now it's got the TV show season one and season two. And it's, mm-hmm. it's just so good. And you just, the dialogue and the way that certain things are addressed and dealt with, you don't really get that, those kind of women's stories very often in TV, I feel like. Agree? Yeah, for sure. 
I mean, I think we're starting to see a little bit more of it now. So it's definitely like the prime time for a show like this. Um, but still really refreshing. And it breaks the fourth wall in, a, in really cool ways, I think. Right. Especially the way it handled it in season two. Yeah, really cool. So what happens in season two, because she talks to the audience and so much um, of what's going on, her inner dialogue, she says directly to the camera. And and it's hilarious. And, and it's hilarious. So and entertaining. So, <laughs> yes. But in season two, she meets this person. They have a connection. And she doesn't have connections with very many people in her life. And he is the oh, only spoiler one. Spoiler alert. It's the hot priest. <laughs> it's the hot priest. And he's really the only one that sees her. And every time she speaks to the camera, he notices. And he says, what is that? What is that doing? Where, where are you going? Where are you going? Where are you going? And then at one point, he actually hears what she says. And he's like, did you say that? And then she's like, no, I didn't say that because she's so used to no one recognizing her. Yeah. No one really sees her. Yeah. And it's such a great way to show that he does and that they have this connection that she has with no one else. Like it just, it really struck me to my core. I think yeah. uh, one thing that one of the shows I watched or a podcast that I watched talked about and I had, it had never even connected to me that she she doesn't have a name. No one calls her Fleabag in the show, but we also don't know what her real name is. Yeah. And when you watch it with subtitles, the subtitles refer to her as Fleabag. Yeah. And I didn't, it didn't even click to me. Like I, I was like, we know what her name is at first. I was like going, wanting to argue with them. And I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. We, we nope. don't know what her name is, which is an interesting technique as well. I think to maintain a distance, but also, you feel so connected with some of the mm -hmm. monologues and things that she says and the experiences she's having on some level. Yeah. But yeah. Now, if I remember correctly, a couple of people don't have names either. Like I, I'm, the priest didn't have a name. I'm pretty sure he was literally just priest or hot priest or whatever. Just based on the subtitles. I don't think you ever actually learned his name. Um, I and can't then remember. I think, I'd have to go back and check because um, I know that there's one point where her parents introduce her to him. But maybe they yeah, said I think that they priest. say this is our priest. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. But when, after watching that and like, uh, edge of 17, you haven't watched that yet, but that's also, mm -hmm. I think on prime or maybe it's, no, it's Netflix. Uh, Netflix is like a teenage version in my opinion of a flea bag. Uh, very edge of 17 is a, is a teenage version of flea bag. Yeah. Did I say it backwards? You said Netflix is a teenage person. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Edge of 17, I felt like. And it's just kind of, to me, I really got into thinking about this whole idea of like being broken or feeling broken, I guess. Maybe not being broken, but like feeling so broken and different inside uh, that you feel so disconnected from the rest of the world. And I just was really brought me to think about how, and the truth is that we all kind of have something like that, that makes us feel different or unique or that we don't want to talk about, or that we tried to hide from other people. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we isolate that and we isolate ourselves because of that. And yet the only way to get through that and find your people or the people who see you and understand is to just be sort of open and forthcoming about it. Like it's such a conundrum. Right? Like, how else yeah. do you find your people without letting them see the brokenness of you? Because either they're not going to accept it or they will. And they, they also have something that they share that, that makes yeah. you feel like you're in sync together. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it kind of reminds me of this quote, and I'm probably going to butcher it just because I, every time I've been on the spot like this and thought of a quote, I butchered it. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, in order to be loved, you must submit to the terrifying ordeal of being known. Does this, yeah. does that sound familiar to you? Do you know what I'm referring to? I don't to? know the quote okay. at all, but oh. I mean, it rings um, true. Yeah. It's a, it's a quote that I've seen a lot lately for some reason, and it really has been kind of sticking in, in my head, like, and it's, I'm obviously that doesn't just refer to, you know, romantic love. That's all kinds of love. I mean, my best friendships and relationships are with people who really know my insecurities and, um, my flaws or, you know, things that I feel like make me so almost insurmountably different kind of, you know, in the way that you're referring to. Yeah. And I feel like it's so different being the youngest. I feel like that's one thing that's interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, that's one thing about <laughs> my relationships with my sisters. Like we're very close, but there's also like this, I don't know that we're totally like intimate with each other, like where they mm. know your secret wishes and desire, like those kind of things, like there's still Mm -hmm. a part of me that is held back. And I don't know if that's just as a youngest child feeling like I'll be judged or not accepted Mm -hmm. or, or what. And that's, what's interesting. I'm sorry. That's mom. I know. Sorry. (laughs) That's what Fleabag does too. Like she, there are times where she's broken through and tried to tell her family who she is or what she's trying to become. And they just don't Mm -hmm. believe her. They have already decided who she is. Mm -hmm. Like she has a role to play in their family and that they're not going to let her vary from that. Mm -hmm. I think in season two, her dad made some pretty big observations about her that were probably pretty accurate about the way she loves and, uh, and other things like every now and then her dad will come up with these things. But for the most part, she still is stifled by the role that they have put her in. Mm -hmm. Which can be true with a lot of people's relationships. I feel like um, you can see that with friendships and romantic relations. I mean, relationships of all sorts, I guess, familial, whatever. Um, If you try and grow and develop and break out of, you know, your mold, people can be really resistant to that. Maybe not even be aware that they're resistant to that but I've definitely seen that before. Yeah. Or they feel threatened by it or feel uncomfortable by it because they, they aren't ready to, to look in the deepest, darkest parts of themselves and share that. So it makes them uncomfortable when other people do it. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Because I'm so out there. It's hard for me to guess what keeps someone from not being out there. I mean, I mean, I, I agree though. I feel like it, if, if you were to dive into the root of it, it comes from some sort of insecurity. Well, and I think with those shows and with real life, like when those people have those moments where they reach a breaking point and they um, actually say aloud all the things they think are wrong with them, it's like it makes you emotional as a viewer, but it also makes you realize that we're not alone. Like there are so many people that feel that way, like, but just people don't talk about it. I don't know. That's the, yeah. kind of, that's the feeling I get when I watch that happen. And it's like, I'm emotional for them, for them coming to the realization and trying to share it with someone. I'm also emotional because I realize that other people feel this way and are hiding it deep down inside as well. And I'm emotional because mm-hmm. I have things about myself that I feel 
the same, I, I keep saying brokenness, but like feel broken in a way too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I have, I have a pretty good life, but I feel like I have that experience of feeling as an outsider and, uh, kind of staying that way and feeling like people don't really know what I'm experiencing because I'm not sharing it with anyone. Mm-hmm. I mean, the well, part about not sharing it with anyone, I guess this is a hindsight thing. Well, why don't you elaborate on that then? <laughs> I don't know. Tell I me mean, more. well, growing up, I was always just like awkward. I didn't really have close friends or the friends I had were pretty mean to me because I was mm. homely and awkward and it was just easy to, did you just refer to yourself as homely? Yeah, I was pretty, I was like, I feel like my story is kind of an ugly duckling story. Like I was like, until like seventh or eighth grade, I was mm. just totally awkward and yeah. And then hmm. something happened and then all of a sudden boys were like, whoa, where'd you come from? <laughs> And I puberty. was like, <laughs> yeah, like, like, like puberty. It just, all of a sudden it was totally like a, a different person. And I grew my hair long and I, you know, maybe started wearing makeup, like just everything just sort of changed for me. Um, and I don't know what the catalyst for that was other than, you know, I, I got a different set of friends too. So that might've been part of it. For sure. Especially if they weren't mean to you. I mean, yeah being surrounded by negativity can really affect you. Yeah. And then, um, and then, you know, I had a baby at 16, so that was always kind of. Yeah. You puberty hit you so hard. Boys were so into you. You just got pregnant. (laughs) And just like walking through the halls, like, whoa, what's happening? Uh, and then, yeah. So, that kind of set me apart. Obviously there were people that were like taken aback by that, but I think it changed for me because I knew that I was making a choice that a lot of people uh, wouldn't necessarily make to, to have my baby and to be pregnant. And um, so I knew that I had to kind of stand in that, like this is the decision I'm making. And I wasn't really like afraid or felt like I needed to hide out. I knew girls that had babies that like you never saw them when they were pregnant and that just wasn't me. I was just, this is it. I mean, of course, and then that goes back to that same story of being accused of stealing and like, you know, so it's just all mm-hmm. kind of a very interesting experience having a baby at 16. Mm-hmm. But not interesting. But not interesting. You're not right. that word. It was a very uh, challenging and growing experience to have a baby ex- at 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course it would be. Yeah. Now, um, when you share stuff like that, like I always think about, you know, maybe less than more now people who have babies young or whatever, while they do feel very isolated from the people around them, because this is such a visible, obvious thing that makes them different. Uh, they might find solace in like internet communities or something like that. Uh, I know Miranda was sharing with me that one of her closest friends in the world, she actually met, uh, online when she was pregnant with her son um and it was basically like you know exactly what it sounds like one of those like forums of uh young single mothers uh, or something yeah yeah they met that way uh so i mean 
what are your thoughts on that then how that changes the landscape now versus then or you know is, is that a coping mechanism that people might be using I'm just I don't know I'm just kind of spitballing here I don't know. I mean, my first thought is that it would be a double-edged sword, right? You would find this online community where everyone understands you, but it almost shines a light on the fact that you have no one in your circle in in, in real life mm. that understands you, especially if your family doesn't understand what experiences you're having or what you're going through. Yeah, that's true. So it kind of becomes a, a double-edged sword and highlights one but gives you comfort in another hmm it's a good point that's a really good point I think that uh that's one great thing about the internet though like people can find connections with other people but also it can separate us from people so it's all and mm -hmm. it's just like anything else like it's all how you how you use it and what you expose yourself to yeah I guess that's true valid point yeah but I guess I just thought about after watching those shows like so much of just how we all have these things that we hide inside and that we feel so um I don't know like no one will understand or like this is so strange about me like how do I how do I get through it or how do I overcome it mm -hmm. I think that was one thing about my relationship with dad is like we like we, we connected so much when we were together in the beginning. Like there were things that I told him that I'd never told anyone. Like it was just, we were just in sync that way. Uh -huh. Right. in the beginning. Um, so there's that. But. Yeah. I mean, it's like that, um, you know, rom-coms will have like that, um, that moment in the beginning where they're like, you know, spending weekends in bed, just like talking about themselves and like, mm -hmm. blah, 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 whatever. But that's like a real thing, you know, that might be like an over dramatization of a real thing. But definitely you go, you have to go through that period where you, you open up. Yeah, but I mean, that's the thing about sex, right? And a, a, a lot of times, we've kind of had this conversation and maybe disagreed on it. But sex is a really intimate thing and it's meant to be an intimate thing. And I think sometimes that gets lost in modern day society. And I'm sure it doesn't have, to, I think there are ways to keep it not intimate. So I'll go, I'll allow that. But for the most part, I think, and that's how you have those moments, right? Your, your barrier is kind of broken down. If you're like quote unquote lying in bed, that's after a sexual interaction, like mm -hmm. it's the real you there uh, for the most part. So either you get up and leave or you, <laughs> you are sharing, you you continue to share that connection, but on a different level. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, yeah, it's not, it's not a trite thing that that's a real thing. Like you, you have these connections and sometimes relationships may start out as strictly sexual. And then because of that, depending on you, how you deal with that together, that it, it develops into something else. Mm. Yeah. And I have, I have thoughts and feelings about that for sure, because obviously I've had sexual encounters that I feel like had no degree of real intimacy to them, which was fine. That's what I wanted. But I, I've definitely, especially, I mean, I mean, okay, I don't want to say, I don't want to say that. 
never mind. I was, <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna say recently, but that's I don't want to. Yeah, you want to be once feelings get involved as well. Like that's the thing for me. Like I can if I have sex knowing it's just sex and whatever. But like if there's any inkling of like I might like this person and we have sex, then it's like like instant intimacy for me. Like instant oatmeal. It's like oh, the two things just combined, and now I'm ready to spend all my time with you and (laughs) (laughs) tell you everything about myself. Yeah, it's yeah. But, but it's interesting because like, no, it's not, it's not interesting. Gosh, darn it. (laughs) But you just reiterated in a way, what I'm saying is that when you have those interactions, like it's a conscious effort to keep it from being intimate because I mean, I think that's sometimes it's not, I don't, I don't think it's conscious though. It's just like, I know what this is. Like, I'm, I'm not looking for intimacy. This is, I'm looking for having a different need fulfilled. Right. But I mean, it's, it's conscious in that it's decided ahead of time and it's decided afterwards and it's clear on both parties. There's no lingering and there's not, I mean, you might hang out and grab a bite to eat afterwards, but like, it's not like it's designed for that. So in some ways by society or whatever, it has, it is like, you know, it's, it's a separate forcibly separate thing, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I could go I on. Either. I could go on and on about my ideas about sex and intimacy and how that has affected modern day society, but I won't. Probably a good idea. Yeah, I feel like that's one thing we'd really disagree on. Yeah, we would, but in the end, I'd be right. <laughs> oh, would you? You say that with such confidence, huh? Is this what it's like to talk to me? Like, is this how my friends feel when I talk to them? One hundred percent. Yeah. Is this our first episode since we've been back from Disneyland, by the way? It is. Since we went to the great uh, Galaxy's Edge. Yeah. With Miranda, who has told me repeatedly, um, your mom's awesome awesome and I really like her. No, she really did say that. (laughs) Oh, I was just just kidding. She said it again. No, no, seriously. She said, she said again yesterday. Well, I mean, yes, how much you like Disneyland, but also like yesterday when we saw each other, she was like, seriously, I really like your mom. She's really cool. And I was like, oh, she really liked you too. She was like, really? I thought she hated me. I was like, really? She's like, yeah, I get weird with new people. I just assume they don't like me. It's like, okay, well. <laughs> Again, that kind of fits like, in with exactly what we're talking about. Like you, yeah. you know, feel so separate. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. She definitely puts up walls too, I think. I mean, she's definitely had life experiences that have led to that. But yeah, she's a hard shell to crack. Yeah. She liked you. I liked her too. I mean, that's the thing. Like for her to just automatically assume that I didn't like her is. When you gave her absolute, I mean, I was with you the whole time. There was absolutely no reason for her to think that you guys were off alone together. Sometimes you were talking. Yeah, totally. But that's, (laughs) I mean, people talk to people that they don't like. So, I mean, I could see how, if you're just like, oh, I'm not used to. I guess that's true and especially like my age group I could see how someone would assume that my age group may not be that open or accepting of others I don't know maybe I don't know but we had a great time at Disneyland and she did tell me repeatedly um you and your mother are the same person like holy crap I see where you get everything (laughs) no like (laughs) all of it that's funny yeah um, like when someone says that we're the same person, like what exactly do you think they mean? Like just that, think, not just our mannerisms, but like our thought processes. Yes, for our sure. Communication I think the way style. that we communicate, yeah, the way we communicate for sure. Um, 
the way we dig our heels in with stuff. I mean, like that was a perfect example. Like you saying, like we would disagree, but I'd be right. Like I say that to people all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> it's like that same like mindset that we have. I don't know. She gave me example, like an example, but that was while we were in the park. I mean, that was was forever ago. Mm. Well, I'm really sad that you forgot about it. I guess I'll have to ask her. I'll have to get her on the podcast. Sheesh. I, we've got to, uh, we definitely have to make time for Sierra. We've got to come up with a topic we can share with and discuss with Sierra next time you're here. Yeah. Next time I'm there for sure. Yeah. I think that'd be super fun. Yeah, it would. I, I know one Sierra. time we weren't going to be able to record and I was like, well, I could always record with Sierra. <laughs> and then I was like, absolutely not. I know that would hurt your no feelings one, so much. We can't have an episode that I'm not in. Like you just can't do that. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> and you I'm can't. like, you know, I think actually, uh, I could, I have you on yeah. tape as saying whatever it's your podcast. This is your thing. Remember? Yeah. But do you know how salty I would be like forever? I'd be salty. Yeah, I know. I'm still just trying to overcome Hamilton still. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I'm over it now that we've been, we went to Hamilton, but that was what, two years or something. <laughs> yeah. But on our version was better. Yeah. Which is why I'm okay with it. If ours sucked, oh man, I would still be making jokes about the fact that you didn't take me when you should have. <laughs> Yeah. I so think... yeah, I don't get over anything ever. I was just telling somebody the other day, I, there, so, you know, that part of big little lies when she's like, I, you know, I tend to my grudges, like little plants. That's a hundred percent me. Like I, I hold on to those things. Like, <laughs> like Rosa, just come like, back through and water them. <laughs> like Rosa, like I'm going to have the last word. Like that's not a way to live. Like I've got like 75 people on my deathbed that it's going to be. Like, that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. Life's too short to tend to grudges. Like we were talking about this at work the other day, like how sometimes dad and I, dad will do something that just makes me so mad. And I'm just going to be like, I'm so mad. I'm not going to talk to him for two days. And like two <laughs> hours later, I'm just like, so what are we going to do tonight? Like, I forget that I'm mad. Just like, this uh -huh. is how I live my life. That's my personality. Oh yeah. I was supposed to be mad about that. So I feel like that's how you should be. If we're the same person, <laughs> you should develop that attitude. Maybe, yeah, maybe when I grow up. But right now, <laughs> I'm young and dumb in my 20s, and I will be mad for, for things until I die, what? which is hilarious because when I'm doing my Muay Thai, my instructor literally says to me every time, like, wow, you've got some anger. Like, you've got anger in there. Like, I know I do. I know I do. I you totally get that down. from dad. Dad loves oh. his anger. Like, he, like, there was a time where he started to let go of his anger, and he didn't know what to do with himself. Mm. He felt lost without it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that would be my assessment. He might describe it different, but as an outsider, him talking about it, that would be my assessment. Yeah. I mean, that is definitely one of the ways that I am just like dad and I can relate to that feeling for sure. But what do you think is gained by that? Or you don't give an F what's gained? I don't think That's it's, just... a, yeah, I don't think, I mean, it's not like we're logically thinking about pros and cons here. It's not like that. It's like it's, I don't know. I don't know what it's like. It's like a sense well, what of what are the benefits of being angry or tending to a grudge? I think that it stems from a need to be right in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, and I think that feeling like there's some balance or justice, like that's what it is for me. Like I want to feel like some, the this person who wronged me got theirs 
And I will hold on to that anger until that happens so that I can properly revel in that moment. But you don't ever feel like the way the world is that eventually they will. And like, it only affects you to hold on to the anger. No, I don't feel like that at all. Trump Mm. is our president right now. Why on earth would I think that people who are bad gets theirs? (laughs) Oh, I have no evidence to believe that. Like I, I don't, I mean, I see a, that. politics aside, in your personal life, like, really, you haven't seen, like, where no. it all kind of works out? No. Or have you I just haven't. chosen to ignore it? I, I, I cannot think of a single instance where I felt like, I, no, no, I can't. Even just, like, seeing people who maybe, like, haven't had bad things happen to them, which, or whatever, have things not go right for them, but, like, they're not happy. Like, why would you want to let someone else affect your happiness? I mean, I'm still happy. I can be angry and happy at the same time. The two are not mutually exclusive. Uh, I think there are a lot of people out there that would disagree with that. But they, they can disagree all they'd like to. But I just had the time of my life in Disneyland. That doesn't mean that I'm not still tending to my grudges. I can tap into that anger whenever I want. Right, right but when... Like locked away. But it's just there, it's there. uselessly. It's it's energy and time devoted to a grudge that. I mean, I, I want to be very clear. I'm not going to pretend like I don't have grudges. I don't know that I would say that I tend to them, but like they come up, and I have to. I I my tending is I'm dealing with trying to let go of them. Um, mm. Whereas you're like tending... an evolved human being. Good for you. <laughs> I guess it's just to me, my happiness is more important. And I, in the end, I don't want to, they're not thinking about me. The person I have a grudge is not thinking about me at all. Like, so I'm wasting, like, I feel like, I guess I feel like too, they win. If I'm sitting here thinking about them and being unhappy or frustrated when I think about them and they're not thinking about me at all or how they affected me or how they hurt me, who wins? They win. I'm letting them win by holding on to this grudge. Yeah. But I mean, I if we're going to talk not, in terms of winning and losing. Sure. But I'm not sitting here thinking about how angry I am. That's not how, that's not how it works. That's not how it's processed. Well, true. But I mean, when you think about them and it brings up your anger or your grudge, they're winning. They're not, they don't spend time thinking about you. No, they don't. But they will when their life goes to shit and there I am laughing at them. (laughs) So, yeah, just holding on to the anger so I can have that moment. Because, see, here's the thing. If I let go of the anger and the frustration and that feeling of being wronged. And then something happens and they are around. Then what? I'm nice to them. I have the potential to let them back into my life because I'm an empathetic person. Because that's, those are my two options. There's no middle ground for me. Well, and maybe that's the problem. Yeah, maybe. Let's see what your husband has to say about it since I get this from him. Mm. I don't know. Like, I think I his think reasons are probably different than mine. Perfect story. I think, so I rented a room in a salon when I was working as an esthetician. You know this. And... Mm-hmm. was paying my rent, which was quite high as a matter of fact. And my business was just like really getting to where I wanted to be. Um, I was doing lashes. I was busy. I had my skincare. I had waxing and spray. I had all my services down. My website was booming. And then the owners of the building come in and are like, you have to be out by Saturday because she was not paying the rent 
on the building. She was just taking my rent and pocketing it. Mm-hmm. And I think about her sometimes, like, I know that, you know, she screwed over, what, one, two, I think there were five of us that were paying her rent at the time. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, she basically jacked all of us. Um, you know, we all survived in different ways. But uh, like she, I just can't imagine... Like, even if she went on and moved on and pocketed that money and, like, lived her life, whatever, I just can't see how you could be happy. Like, how you look yourself in the mirror and not feel like, oh, I screwed over some people. Like, if I saw her, I definitely wouldn't be nice, but I would definitely want to have words about how, do you, have you ever thought about how you affected people? Like, I wouldn't pretend Mm -hmm. to be nice, but I would want to see... You know, if she's ever thought about giving me my thousands of dollars back that I paid that she wasn't paying. But don't you think that's the thing? Like, I I guess I'm just more jaded than you. And if those people, like, I, I think that people live just fine making those choices with no regret. I think there are very few people that do, to be honest. Yeah. I, I mean, I think when you look at, like, just politicians different. and stuff, I think they feel like that's the price of doing whatever it is they do or like big, but I mean, the politicians are just regular people who happen to go into politics. Plenty of people in the world have those, that same thing. Like she thinks to herself, like, well, I mean, that was when you were in Woodland, right? So that's when, Oh, Hmm. okay. Well, what I was going to say was I know plenty of landlords that did that with how, when the housing industry was down, lots of people did that. Like that was not an uncommon thing. Right. I think that, um, there are justifications that one can make. And the reason I brought up politicians is because I think politics is dirty. And so it's as though they feel like they get a pass because everyone knows that's how it is. Do you know what I mean? Whereas renting a house isn't necessarily right, but whatever they came in later, whatever. I'm just saying they they justify it a little differently than like your normal Joe. I look at it a different way. I think that, this they were attracted to politics because they already had that in them and i think that plenty of people a lot of people have that in them that lack of empathy and that ability to just say well that's their problem if they were dumb enough to let someone screw them over then they got what they got right i think people can say it but how you how you deal with that and the manifestation of what you're doing to others is is two different things Yeah, I, you have more faith in people than I do then. I mean, it's just human nature in general. Like, everybody's I've lost a find, lot of it. find ways to justify their terrible behavior, but it it comes out in other ways in, in your life and how you respond to things. And I, I don't know. And, yeah, I think I, – I mean, it's funny that you said that because even thinking about – I think – a lot of people go into politics thinking they're going to make a difference. And they just realize the reality is very different because you have politics is about compromise. Like you can't just go in and this is what I want. This is what I'm getting. And I'm going to change this. You have to say, okay, well to move an inch on this one thing that I thought I was going to change, I have to give two inches on this one thing that I don't want to give in order to make things work and to just feel like I'm making progress towards my goal. Like that's Mm -hmm. the nature of politics and that's okay. I'm fine with that. Um, if that were what was really happening right now, but that's a whole nother topic for another day. And it only works when both sides give things up because 
the way the reason we got here is one side compromised. Um, I think the reason we got here is is very complicated and nuanced, and it's not just one side, but I think one side is definitely doing some things because their priorities are the self as opposed to the whole. And there's really no other way to put it. Hmm. But yeah, another day, another day. Anyways, in the end... We're all broken. Find someone to share your story with and figure out who's who's your people. Like who understands you and can take you under their wing and be a part of sharing what is special about you and helping you through whatever you feel like is broken, mm-hmm. like putting those pieces back together. And definitely watch Fleabag. Yes, please. And Such I'll watch the Edge of Seventeen since I need to. Yeah, I thought I thought it was good. I mean, it was definitely a very teenagery movie, but um, it was good. Yeah, yeah. the cast well, was good. Um, yeah, I thought the whole thing was good. Yeah, I, I would all say. That. Yeah, you should. So many things to watch on TV, though. Yeah, and I with what time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my problem right now. And speaking of politics, I just started uh, season three of The Handmaid's Tale last night. Mm. And I'm glad the way it's going so far because I was like, I don't know how they're going to do it after what just happened, like at the end of season two when I was screaming at my TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were pissed. I was ready to throw in the towel. Um, I felt like they picked it up pretty good, but I am still mad because I really liked her baby daddy. Um, and it looks like that's not a thing anymore or he's not even going to be in it anymore. So I'm kind of bummed about that. Keep watching. Okay. Yeah. Like, not her first baby daddy, the one in I know Gilead. what you mean. Keep okay. watching the show. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, when they said goodbye and he's in the episode one, I was like, no, I like him. Yeah, that him. was really hard. I had the same thought of, oh, my gosh, where's Nick going? No. Yeah, that bumped me out. Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, she's got to, she does have to move on with her life. I mean, yeah, he's not going to be in every episode, but. No, but I kind of liked I mean, I felt like that's the thing too. I think when they walked away from each other, I'm like, but wait, you loved each other. Like you got through, you got each other through dark times. Like, and you're just willing to just walk away like that. It's not about willing. It's about, they don't have a choice. (sighs) Fine. Fine. (laughs) Like it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Uh, Oh, you know, we like each other. So we're going to stay together. It doesn't work like that. Well, yeah, but I mean, like it's just, it, (laughs) It's the same thing with her daughter, and she's not letting that go. I just felt like he was worth fighting for, too. That's all. All right. All right. I got to go finish getting ready for work now. Yeah, I'm going to go celebrate Father's Day. All right. Love you. Love your show. Love you, too. Bye. Bye. As always, we want to give a big shout-out to Dave Depper, who provides the music we use in our episodes. The song you're listening to is titled Can Can 2, and we got it from the Free Music Archive. You can check out Dave at DaveDepper.com. If you like Grown Up and Grounded, please leave us a review on whatever platform you're using. This will help other people find our podcast. Guess what? The blooper is that the little clip I was going to insert here disappeared in the editing process. So hope that doesn't disappoint you too much and that you enjoyed the episode. Bye.